BridgeBank helps breakthrough ideas actually break through and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to those committed to leveraging innovation to make the world a better place. BridgeBank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. BridgeBank, be bold, venture wisely. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member get special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks. From KQED. Good morning. This is the California Report. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. The operator of the state's power grid is urging Californians to conserve energy later today and this evening as the first major heat wave of the year continues. My California Report co-host Lily Jamali joins me now with more. Hey, Lily. Hi, Saul. Well, this flex alert, as they're called, is the first of the year. The California Independent System Operator, or CAISO, says they're doing this out of an abundance of caution, asking everyone to conserve power between 5 and 10 o'clock tonight. That means setting your thermostat to 78 degrees or higher, turning off unnecessary lights and not using appliances. And they're also asking everyone to cool their homes ahead of time before 5 p.m. when officials are most worried about running out of power and calling for those rolling blackouts. That's something that they absolutely do not want to have to do after last August when 800,000 Californians went without power over two very hot evenings. This flex alert comes after a lot of fanfare over all that California has done to avoid rolling blackouts again from securing power ahead of time, a lot of it from fossil fuel burning sources, to getting more battery storage online. Bottom line, officials at Kaiso don't think this heat wave will be as bad as last August's. The odds of rolling blackouts are pretty low, but they're monitoring things in case those projections need to change. Saul? All right. Thanks, Lily. That's the California Report's Lily Jamali. Turning now to the economy, what's one big sign that things are starting to rebound both here in California and across the globe economically? Well, business is booming at the Port of Los Angeles. Gene Soroka, executive director of the port, says more than a million containers went through the facility in May, setting a record for any port in the Western Hemisphere. That's as big as we've ever gotten. Uh, a million container units outpaces uh, the traditional volume of cargo by double-digit fashion. In fact, 900,000 units, which is what we've been averaging for the past 11 months, would go around the world twice and halfway back. Now, most of that traffic has come from imports, as exports are still hampered by trade policies with other countries like China. And with the state and country starting to fully reopen, Soroka says the next challenge for the port is helping to improve all the supply chain problems businesses have had. It's about the smaller family and mid-sized businesses that will now be opening more. We're going to need restaurant supplies. We'll need all of the products that go uh, along the lines of what we're going to buy when we go out to the shops uh, on the weekends, etc. So working with these types of importers and exporters is going to be crucial to the reopening capabilities of the country, the state, and our city here in Los Angeles. 
And Soroka says the Port of L.A. is just starting to move into the busiest part of the year. And he doesn't expect this import surge, which started last summer, to level off until sometime in 2022. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio. It was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. This week, California ended the mask mandate in most public settings. And today, the state's Occupational Health and Safety Board is set to vote on rules about masks in the workplace. The California Report's Alex Hall has more. Under the new proposed rules, fully vaccinated employees wouldn't have to wear masks while at work unless there's an outbreak. And social distancing requirements would essentially go away for all employees, whether or not they've been vaccinated. If they're approved, Governor Newsom is expected to issue an executive order that would make the standards effective sooner than the typical 10-day review period, which would make it more in line with the state's reopening. Kalosha's Standards Board is scheduled to meet this morning to hear public comment on the latest round of rules and decide whether to adopt them by the end of the day. For the California Report, I'm Alex Hall. Even with California's reopening this week, Governor Gavin Newsom says he remains cautious when it comes to the possible spread of COVID-19 in the state. Speaking in Bakersfield yesterday, the governor said state health officials are keeping an eye on new variants. Latest data, we have 4% of those that we've sequenced of COVID cases have been sequenced with this Delta variant. The Delta variant, however, in the United States, is the one the CDC just highlighted as a, uh, a variant of real concern. You're seeing in places like Montana with lower rates that it's north of 20 percent of all the reported cases. And what would happen if that variant becomes more widespread in California? Well, Newsom says the state will take action if needed. We will come in, we'll assess if there's community spread through community surveillance and contact tracing. We're going back to the basics, working with our county partners, our local health officers, and we'll be doing aggressive vaccine efforts and pushes in a more targeted way with these strike teams. The program also helps persuade more people to get their shots and protect themselves against these new variants, especially in communities and counties that have much lower vaccination rates. 
When California dropped most COVID-19 restrictions this week, it meant that for the first time in over a year, performers could get back on stage in front of a full house. But as KAZU's Jeremiah Edding reports, restarting live performances brings new challenges to an already vulnerable industry. During the pandemic, Kumba Jazz, a music venue in Santa Cruz, hosted weekly virtual performances. Musicians played on the venue stage to empty seats. Right now, if you walk into the venue, it looks more like a television studio or a sound stage than a live music venue. Tim Jackson, the marketing director at Kumba Jazz, says it's one way the nonprofit has continued supporting musicians. The artists have taken a huge, um, a huge hit. Frankly, you know, the large part of our mission statement is to employ jazz artists. <laughs> Julie Baker is the executive director of Californians for the Arts, a nonprofit group that advocates for artists and venues. To help kickstart recovery, her group and a coalition of arts advocates are asking the state for a $1 billion investment. We know it's justified because we're a $233 billion industry in the state of California. We're ahead of agriculture and transportation. Before this week's reopening, many venues across the state were limited to operating at only 25% of their capacity. Yeah, let's talk about that. That makes no sense. But economically, that's, there's no way we can do that. Christine Sandin is the artistic director at the Sunset Center in Carmel. With the state's reopening this week, the rules are changing. But Sandin says losing guidance from the state places the challenge of deciding how to reopen on the businesses themselves. Uh, it's like passing the hot potato back to the venue managers. To get a sense of the community's comfort level, the Sunset Center sent out a survey. About a thousand people responded. 80% said they were vaccinated and ready to see live performances again. But Julie Baker says it's not enough just for people to be ready to come back to performances. What we know is that people have been taking any possible federal relief that they could get to be able to just to hang on. And now it's about we need to invest to recover and to rebuild. The Sunset Center's first indoor show is planned for September 30th. Kumba Jazz is also planning to reopen in the fall. For The California Report, I'm Jeremiah Edding in Santa Cruz. And like performance venues, movie theaters have been hit hard and faced closures during the pandemic. The Roxy Theater in San Francisco's Mission District can trace its history back to the early 1900s, and it's a staple for indie film fans in the Bay Area. Standing next to the popcorn machine in the Roxy's lobby, Executive Director Lex Sloan talked to the California Report about the theater's reopening plan. In theory, we could open up to 100% capacity, and that would be 234 seats. You know, we've always really been guided by the comfort level of our staff and the comfort level of our patrons, and so we're not ready to jump back up to full capacity at 100%. So we're going to continue to just cautiously take steps forward till hopefully by the end of summer we're back up and running at full capacity with regular show times. The theater has been operating at about 25% capacity for a few weeks. Sloan says even though the theater will be losing money by continuing to operate at limited capacity, it's been really rewarding for her to see the excitement from patrons back for the first time. Listening to people talk about the movie in the lobby after and like have those moments of what did you think about that and well, I was confused about that. 
I've been able to witness people making memories in this way that's so powerful that like they'll always remember their first time back in a movie theater and if it's the Roxy that's great but I also hope it's the Balboa and the Vogue and the Castro and making sure that all of the independent art house theaters in the Bay Area like make it through this. Like so many other venues, Sloan says the Roxy used the more than 400 days it was closed to make improvements, including a wheelchair-accessible bathroom and air conditioning, so moviegoers will be coming back to a more welcoming and comfortable theater. Let's turn to immigration. In Mendota, a small farm worker community in Fresno County, about half of the city's 11,000 residents were born in Mexico or Central America. Now the city is preparing for more Central American migrant youth to arrive in the coming months because of changes in U.S. migrant detention policies. Valley Public Radio's Mari Bolaños has more. Marvin Cornejo left the small village of Azacualpa in El Salvador at just 16 years old. His goal was to reunite with his father in Mendota, population 11,000. 2016, um, I came here. I got a job in the fields with my dad. He knew somebody and I was just working now, five years after Cornejo arrived in Mendota, local leaders and advocates are expecting many more Central American youth to be released from federal detention centers to parents or close relatives in the city. There seems to be a surge right now, um, and it kind of ebbs and flows, um, and we expect in the next couple months for that really to increase. That's lawyer Catherine Krasnikov with Kids in Need of Defense, the only organization in Fresno County that provides free legal services to minors who were in detention facilities. She says many of the unaccompanied kids are fleeing gang or cartel violence in countries like El Salvador, Guatemala, and Honduras. The number of unaccompanied minors in Fresno County jumped from 75 to 112 last month, according to data from the Federal Office of Refugee Resettlement. Krasnokov says it's unclear how many of those kids settled in Mendota, but... We've always had very high numbers in Mendota, um, and that's because the root causes of migration are not going away. They're only being amplified. This past year, as a record number of unaccompanied minors arrived at the southern border, Mendota Unified School District officials said 14 enrolled in local schools, a number that's consistent with previous years. They suspect many more recently arrived youth opted out of online learning. We probably had a lot of 16, 17-year-old kids that came in, but in their mind there's no school. They just started working. That's the school district's director of instructional services, Manuel Bautista, who says whatever the numbers are in the fall, the district is preparing to welcome them. Our goal is to integrate them into core classrooms, is to integrate them into all of our different activities and all of our different opportunities, but understanding that they, they, they also need some extra support. Despite those efforts, Mayor Rolando Castro says he has concerns that there won't be enough housing or agricultural jobs for new residents, especially in the current drought. Will there be anything for them? And, and if they don't find the jobs, what do you do? You know, the town is small. There's not much options and there's not a job. Cornejo acknowledged that youth like him face a lot of challenges adapting to life in Mendota. He says that's why he volunteers to mentor newly arrived minors. For each individual, Cornejo has a message. It is going to be really hard. Please don't give up. It's something Cornejo reminds himself of often. He was granted asylum and is now pursuing a degree in chemistry at Fresno State with the goal of one day becoming a family doctor. For the California Report, I'm Mari Bolaños. 
And that story is part of the Central Valley News Collaborative. It's supported by the Central Valley Community Foundation with technology and training support from the Microsoft Corporation. And that's the California Report for Thursday, June 17th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Saul Gonzalez. Thanks for listening and have a great day. Support for the California Report comes from Eric and Wendy Schmidt through the Schmidt Family Foundation, working together to create a just world where all people have access to renewable energy, clean air and water, and healthy food, on the web at theschmidt.org. Stanford Medicine, protecting your health and providing dependable care with safe in-person appointments and video visits, stanfordhealthcare.org adaptingcare. And Personal Capital, helping people take control of their finances with financial tools and objective advice from a fiduciary advisor, personalcapital.com. Hi, I'm Sasha Koka, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse, golden state. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey, that's where you go to Sunshine State, but we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. Do you love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area? It's history, it's people, it's unique blend of cultures? Then you should check out The Bay Curious Book. I'm Katrina Schwartz, editor and producer on The Bay Curious Podcast, and I'm here to let you know that for the month of May, we've worked out a sweet deal for KQED podcast listeners. Right now, you can get The Bay Curious ebook for $1.99. That's right, $1.99. Just search for Bay Curious wherever you get your ebooks or find a link in our show notes. This offer does expire at the end of the month, though, so you'll want to act on it fast. Happy reading!